Well, for this current series, uh, I invite you one more time, last time for a while, to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the book of Jonah. Throughout this sermon series, we have been looking at Jonah through the lens of, of the theme of wrestling with God's scandalous grace. Jonah is scandalized by what God is doing. And he's wrestling with it. He doesn't know what to do with it. And it has led him to anger. So often you and I are in that same boat. We we wrestle against God with what he's doing when it doesn't make sense to us. And often we can be scandalized by what God is doing. But as we closed today, I want us to look at Jonah one last time. And and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from several different places to try to capture the book as we reflect on embracing the mystery of God's scandalous grace. Because if you notice, as we have read from chapter 4, and we'll do it again today, so if you haven't noticed, you you get another shot. The book of Jonah ends with God asking Jonah a question. We don't know Jonah's response. But the question for you today is, what is our response? How are we going to respond to God's scandalous grace? Are we going to embrace the mystery and trust him and follow him? Or are we going to continue to wrestle against it? Well, the book of Jonah, I'm going to read, as you see here, several passages. And so I'm not going to give you the reference as I go. I'm just going to read. The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah speaking, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, 
and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And the Lord said to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us this morning one more time to sit under your word and to strive to receive your word. Lord, we do pray that your spirit would illuminate your word to us, but guard us from bad terminology. Guard us from thinking that that we can come to, to completely understand your word to the point that we have it all figured out. But instead, help us to come and sit before this as it truly is a living and active word through which you are communicating yourself to your people, that we may know your love, that we may um, experience your correction, that we may be encouraged and nurtured in our faith, that we would live in the full embracing of a mystery of who you are and what you are doing, clinging to what you have revealed, but letting the secret things belong to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I have absolutely no idea if what I'm about to tell you is true. No, that's not the sermon part. But there's this account. It's a well-known account. More than likely, it was made up, but it's a good story. But it's about Augustine. Augustine, that that well-known theologian, one of the last of the church fathers kind of bridging that early period of Christian history into the medieval period. There's a story that that one day, as Augustine was working on one of his... um, most difficult writings where he was trying to write and explain to the church the Trinity. Well, apparently well, he, just, he just needed a break one day, so he got out of his study and he went walking by the seaside meditating on this difficult problem of how God can be three persons in one God at once. And as he was walking and as he was reflecting, he came upon a little child. And the little child was there next to the seaside and had dug a little hole with a shell. And then as the tide would come in, the, the little boy would take the shell, get some of the water, and put it in his hole. And the, the tide would go out and the tide would come back in. And as it came back in, he'd take his little shell, get some of that water, put it in his hole. 
And so Augustine was like watching him for quite some time, kind of mesmerized by what was happening. So he finally went up to the child and, and he was like, what are, you, what are you doing? And the child answered that he was scooping, uh, he was attempting to get all the water from the Mediterranean and get it into his little hole. What? Augustine responded, well, that's impossible. Obviously, the sea is too large and the hole is too small. Now, indeed, the account goes, says the child. But I will sooner draw all the water from the sea and empty it into this hole than you will succeed in penetrating the mystery of the Holy Trinity with your limited understanding. Did I mention I'm not sure if this is true? Augustine supposedly turned away in amazement, and when he looked back, the child had disappeared. Right? This is the kind of thing the medieval church would love, right? I have no idea if that story is true, but the reality being expressed in it is absolutely true. And it is such a good way of capturing what we have been looking at in Jonah. If you remember from last week, I made the comment that, that, that Jonah has gotten out of his lane, right? He's gotten out of his lane, and he's done it in two basic ways. Last week, we looked at the first, week, the first way. And, and to put it in terms of, of the illustration from last week, right, where you had the first-time tattoo customer really nervous trying to tell the, the professional tattoo artist how to do his job, right? And, and the tattoo artist's response, you know, his response captures what's happening, right? Stay in your lane, bro. Jo- Jonah has gotten out of, his, out of his lane, and he's gotten out of his lane because Jonah has forgotten what a small hole he is in the sand. And we looked at that last week. Jonah is not God, but Jonah wants to play God. But Jonah doesn't have the intellect. He doesn't have the moral character. He doesn't have the eternal vision and power that God possesses. And so he's angry at God because God is being God and doing God things in ways that Jonah doesn't think God should be doing. Jonah has forgotten he is a little hole in the sand. He is incapable of being God, let alone thinking for God or telling God what he should or should not be doing with grace and with justice. Who should get grace? Who should get justice? And we, like Jonah, so often forget what a small hole we are. And we get out of our lane. Jonah has gotten out of his lane because he is not able to accept God and his sovereignty to pour out his grace on his fallen image bearers without discrimination. Jonah thinks some people should get grace and others should not. And Jonah wants to have a say. 
Jonah has gotten out of his lane because he wants to be able to receive God's grace himself without having to be changed by that grace. Oh, thank you for the fish. Thank you that you didn't leave me drowning in the ocean. Now, I was in the ocean because of what you did, but thank you that you also gave me the fish. Jonah never repents. He's happy to receive grace, but he doesn't want to have to be changed by that grace. At the same time, he's angry that these others have received grace, and he's hoping that they'll fail in it. Those who are being changed by God's grace, which has resulted in their repentance, Jonah is sitting there hoping and watching to see if and when they will fail. Jonah is completely out of his lane, and he's gotten out of his lane because he has forgotten he is such a small hole. Humanity, image bearers, even those made new and united to Jesus Christ will always remain human. We will always remain finite. We will always be incapable of understanding an infinite God. Even in what he reveals to us, we never fully grasp it, let alone the things that he doesn't reveal. And Deuteronomy 29 is extremely clear that God has not revealed everything. There are secret things that belong to him and only to him. Now, thankfully, he doesn't require us to live according to the things he hasn't told us. Well, actually, thankfully, he doesn't require us to live according to the things he has revealed either because he's given us Jesus to do that. Where we are always going to be finite and incapable of understanding God, let alone playing the role of God, God who is more than capable of being himself, willingly took on flesh, humbled himself, and came as a servant in order to lift us out of the ash heap, to lift us, even in our finiteness, to lift us into a share in his exaltation and his glory. This is amazing stuff, and you and I will never be able to understand fully or completely what God is doing, how he is doing it, and why. The secret things belong to him. But that, what he, that which he does reveal is what he encourages us to learn to embrace more and more and more by faith. And what I want us to just quickly look at it and to be reminded of is the other side of that coin of getting out of our lane. We get, of our, we get out of our lane because we so often forget that we are such a small little hole. We also get out of our lane because we so often also forget that God is incomparably more eternal than even the most vast ocean. 
There is nothing deeper. There is nothing larger. There, there, is, there is no ocean even here within this world that, by the way, we don't even know how deep the oceans are. And yet that is but a drop in the bucket in comparison to a, a, a being who is infinite and eternal. And so we forget how small of a hole we are. We also forget just how vast and unfathomable he is. And that is what Jonah is doing. But he's doing it in a way that you and I also tend to either forget about or because we are reformed, we tend to think we've figured out. And that is when you think of, of God being infinite, there is that direction of, of movement from, from us towards him where you think in terms of him growing. He is bigger. He is larger. He is more vast, right? But he is also deeper. And he gets, can go into the depths of the small in ways that you and I cannot go. Yes, he is vast and he is, he is huge and, and he is unfathomable, but he also can go to the depths of details that you and I could never even imagine, let alone know what to do if we got there. In the book of Jonah, God is presenting a picture of himself that can often be a little difficult for us to receive in its fullness because our inability to go into the depths of the details like he can. Now, what do I mean by all this? Well, we're part of the Reformed tradition. We believe that the Scripture teaches the concepts like election and predestination, that, that God has, has, that he chooses and those who are saved, that ultimately that comes down to his power and his sovereignty and what he is doing. And we believe the scripture teaches that, and I believe we rightly believe that the scripture teaches that. But here's the problem. He hasn't also explained how all that works. He hasn't explained how he does it. He hasn't explained why he does it. He hasn't explained when he does it. He hasn't explained any of the details. What he has said in, in comforting his church is, is, is for, for us to embrace the God who is, is able and willing and desirous of, as an as a infinite God to create finite creatures, and even when they rebel against him, for him to have pity, and for him to be compassionate, and for him to desire to go after them. Not because they're worth it. Not because we are deserving. But he has chosen to do this. But he hasn't explained the details. He works 
through a prophet here who was doing the opposite of what a prophet should do. And people who have no context for, for embracing this, this Yahweh God that the reluctant prophet says, hey, I fear this God even while I'm running away from him. And even in a hypocritical profession of faith, God uses that to take these pagan sailors who were already offering anything and everything to every God they could think of for them to stop that and to embrace Yahweh as the true God. Not because the conditions were right, not because the prophet spoke the right words, not because he was able to answer all of the arguments, not because he was able to to counteract their philosophical propositional problems, but because God wanted to do it there, and he did it, and he doesn't tell us why. He just tells us, this is what I do. This is who I am, and this is what I do. Do. I am gracious, I am compassionate, and I am merciful, even as I am also just and wrathful. And he doesn't try to tell us how all of it works in the details. He just asserts it and calls us to embrace him. And what this means for us, by the way, in terms of the participation we have in this mission is notice how simple it is for us to participate. We don't have to strategize about how to do this and that and and work this angle and that angle and to try to figure all those things out. We're simply called to embrace him for who he is and to just at least attempt to embody that and to reveal that to others. We're not going to do it perfectly. There are going to be times that we are even more reluctant than Jonah. And what does God do with, with Jonah? He keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming. He keeps confronting Jonah. Not to condemn Jonah but he just keeps prodding them. Should you be angry? Doesn't this make sense for me to be what I've revealed myself to be? He doesn't give all the details, but he tells us very clearly that this is who he is and this is what he's about and this is the privilege that we have to be known by him and to help others know him. And that means we are not always going to have the details. That means sometimes you and I are going to be on a ship where waves are crashing over it, and we have absolutely no idea what God is trying to do there. But we are going to be called to follow him in the midst of those crashing waves. And not to allow the difficult circumstances to be something that causes us to become 
fearful, anxious, or angry with God because things aren't going the way we think they should go, but instead to go through those things realizing that God is taking us through them to accomplish something that we don't understand in ways that maybe we wouldn't have chosen to do it, but are going to be the ways that will get what he wants done accomplished. And we have to remember that we are little holes And he is bigger than the vastest ocean that we can think of. And we stay in our lane. Notice here also, for us as Reformed believers, that Jonah presents us with some language that we can't tie nice and neat into a little bow. God says one thing, and then it says that he relents. Oof. God relented, we are told, on the basis of the repentance of the Ninevites. God relented as a result of the action of the sailors. Well, hold up. We believe God's providential. We believe he's sovereign. We we believe that, that he's in control, and absolutely he is. But somehow, within all of that, we have to leave room for the mystery of us not being able to tie God off into this nice, neat little package and say, so that means that God is never responding. Because here he does. The sailors throw throw Jonah in. And what does God do? He relents on on the tempest that he was causing. Jonah doesn't repent, but yet God saves Jonah with a fish he prepared beforehand. So on the one hand, God relents on the basis that the sailors throw Jonah in. God relents on the basis that the Ninevites repent, but God also relents with Jonah, but not because Jonah has done anything. You see, we, we can't squeeze God into this nice, neat little package and say, well, God is always this or always that. And in the history of the church, especially since the Reformation, this has been a problem that has existed where even for us as Christians here in America, we know that most of conservative evangelicalism can be put into two groups. Those who believe election, meaning that God chose before the foundation of the world, and those who believe in election. God voted for me, the devil voted against me, I went with God. That's a real quote, by the way, by a Baptist man. I don't want to say the name now. I figured many of you would know it. Right? Two completely different perspectives. And for you and for me, because we forget that we're little holes and we forget that he's bigger than the most vast ocean that we can think of, we think that we can solve the problem. We think we can solve the details. We think that we are able to speak in in such an authoritative fashion that it takes mystery out of the equation. 
But beloved, God tells us the secret things belong to Him. They are not for you and me to try to puzzle out. We are to embrace what He has clearly revealed. He has clearly revealed he is providential. He has clearly revealed that he has elected. He has clearly revealed that these things have taken place before the foundations of the earth. And yet he also has clearly revealed that he wants to be chosen. He has clearly revealed that, that there is repentance and faith that is, that is part of this equation. He has clearly revealed that when people repent the sailors and the Ninevites, that he relents. I don't know how to work out, and I could look, I, if I really wanted to have fun, it would be fun for probably just me and Ken, but I, I could get into epistemology and ontology, I could get into all kinds of compatibility, compatibilism with regards to how to understand how God is sovereign and man responsible and could get into all the philosophy. And it is fun. But make no mistake, every bit of it is complete 100% speculation. And sometimes there is speculation that is unhealthy or unhelpful. And one of the best things that we can do as followers of the God who is three in one, is embrace the reality that not everything functions according to a nice, neat little package where we can somehow completely and totally explain who God is, what he has done, why he does it, how he does it, but instead to embrace the mystery of who he is and what he is doing and why he is doing it. We don't know all the answers to those things, but you know what we do know? We do know that he has given us the privilege to participate with him. And he has given us and explained to us and revealed to us everything that we know, that, that we need to participate well. And so we are called to stay in our lanes. We are called to remember that we are these little holes. And God is larger than the most vast ocean that we could ever imagine. So that we, as those who are the fruit of this God who has come near to us in Jesus Christ, the God who is so vast and infinite, that took on flesh. The, the God who gave the law, the God who created the world, living within it and living under what he himself had made and had delivered. Where the one who created allowed himself to be captured by those whom he made. By the one who is, is eternally righteous and, and lives within the full perfections and the glory of, of his moral righteousness. Allowed himself to be called a sinner. And then allowed himself to die a sinner's death on the cross. Allowed himself, the writer uh, in Isaiah tells us allowed himself to be numbered among the sinners. 
and yet rose from the dead, conquering sin, revealing his righteousness, and then gifting that righteousness to unworthy, small, little holes that will never be able to praise him, let alone understand him enough, because he will always be beyond even the words that he gives us for us to say back to him of how lovely, how good, and how righteous you are. And so make no mistake, we want to embrace what God has revealed. But as as Daniel prayed, if we do not embrace this in humility, then not only will we not be able to receive and enjoy that, what, what, that relationship that we have with him in a way that we can, we will lose out on what it looks like to participate with this eternal God in saying to others, here's who he is, and here's what he offers And then you say to that person that, that you are talking to, whether or not you know they are on the list, right? Whether or not you've stared into their belly button to figure out, are they on the list of the elect? But because they are in front of you, and no more than that, you tell them how beautiful and good and true God is and what he has offered in Jesus Christ. And then you invite them to to let go of their false gods and to come into a new relationship with the God who made them, the God who has done everything to make it so that they are safe with him and who will patiently ask them time after time after time, regardless of if your sin is anger or whatever that sin is, will come to you as a patient father and ask, do you do well to hang on to this sin? Brothers and sisters, let go. Embrace the God who has revealed himself and leave the space for the mystery. Because though we are little holes and though he is a vast ocean, what did we just say? What did we just sing? He is quite pleased to pour himself into us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, forgive us for the many ways that we, we try to, to get out of our lanes. We try to assume more than, than you call us to assume. We, we, we tend to think we know more than we actually do. We tend to act on the basis of what we think we know rather than just simply acting on the basis of what you have clearly revealed. Lord, the history of your church is replete with all the problems that come when we think or when we become too big for our bridges. And so help us to embrace the humility of the the God who has come near to us in the humility of setting his glory aside for a time and taking on flesh. And help us to walk in the humility and and the service, having the same mind of Jesus Christ himself. 
who though he was worthy to be worshipped instead, served and gave himself even to the even serving to the point of death. Father, help us to remember who we are in Jesus Christ. Letting go of wanting to be important because of our own achievements or abilities, but instead just basking in the privileges of being loved by you. And help us, Lord, to bask in that love so well that that is what we take to the world. Lord, you are this, this, this incomprehensible God. Thank you so much that you have chosen to reveal even what you have to us. Father, help us to be mesmerized by who you are rather than thinking that we can control you and in thinking that we can somehow control the, the circumstances of our lives or of the ministry of this church because we think we have such a full and complete list of propositional truths about you. Instead, Lord, help us through the propositional truth that we profess. Help us to know you and to make ourselves vulnerable to you and to participate with you in bringing glory to your name and bringing sons and daughters from every tribe, tongue, and nation into your family. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.